Hello, internet friends. Welcome back to the Daily Blend show. It's been a while since we've had a sound off segment, but with the uh, US Open kicking off here in the States, I thought it was only appropriate to have Austin Noon of Strathcona International Watches come on the show and talk about his watch brand. In the interview, you're gonna learn a little more about Austin Uh, Not only is he the founder of the watch brand we're going to be talking about today, but he's also a tennis sports agent. So you see how we uh, loop that in. You've got the U.S. Open tennis match or tennis tournament. You've got a uh, tennis agent. It's a a whole you know, coordination thing. Anyway, uh, if you're new around here, like, follow, subscribe, The Daily Blend Show on all your favorite podcast platforms. That's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, and YouTube. And don't forget to check us out online at dailyblend.com and, of course, on Instagram and Twitter. And with that said, let's jump into the interview with myself and Austin, recorded a couple weeks back. Well, cool. All right, let's kick it off. So, uh, cool. Austin, thanks for joining us. Let's just start with your man of travel. Where are you in the world today? I Today, I am in Denver, Colorado, actually visiting family, which was long overdue, which is kind of nice, but um, based out of Vancouver, Canada, and really traveling the world as a tennis agent and watch entrepreneur, let's call it. And uh, today, we're basically talking with Austin about his watch brand uh, Strathcona watches. Did I say it correctly? Strath Strathcona. 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 So great. Already starting off, not even be able to read my own handwriting. Strathcona watches. Um, his uh, watch brand, uh, which has got a, a great kind of uh, story in terms of of scouring the world and uh, just kind of understanding uh, what his watch brand's all about. So maybe you know. Give people a little background of like yeah. you and, and the world of uh, watches and uh, tennis. Yeah, no. So I, uh, I I was I was working as a sports agent on tennis on the tennis tour and traveling like almost forty seven weeks out of the year. So going all over the world, seeing all these things, and I've always had an appreciation for watches. But you know, with tennis and this great marriage of huge brands within tennis, and also the passion of a lot of guys in the in the tennis world around watches, you become a fan of watches very quickly. And of course you have the big brands really supporting tennis as a whole. So we become quite educated on the history, the importance of it, the quality, things like that. And you know, what what I was having issues with is that I was fortunate enough to buy a few very nice watches and I was wearing them. And that's what that's what hurts. You start scratching them, you start doing this. And the guys that you're buying them from are going like, what are you doing wearing that, walking onto a subway or walking a, you know, walking around town doing that? And the one thing that I was kind of missing is I wanted a nice watch because in our world, you're judged a lot of what you wear on your wrist because we travel light. You're not sitting there, you know, for example, if I see a guy wearing the greatest jacket you've ever seen, I'm going to see it next week because he's got a bag. That's all he can fit in there. So watches is kind of a way that you can shine a little bit. It's great conversation starters of, oh, hey, what's this? Tell me about it. And these sort of things. It gives us something to talk about week to week. And what I was loving about watches is that I would have these great stories, but I get yelled at for wearing them or that I was scratching them, diluting the value, which is funny because you're never going to sell them anyways. So what I want to do is create something where it's a great luxury watch. You can beat the living hell out of it and have no problems with it, but also keeping it at a great value, 
where you're not sitting there skimping on the quality, but you're also sitting there going like, this is good watch. It works very well for me, but also I can throw it in the bottom of the bag. It's going to knock around and that's okay because that happens a lot when you travel. So what I did is it took me about six years to find it is I found finally a guy that could really put together the right quality that I wanted and bring in, you know, kind of these high points of international watches. I love Swiss parts. I love Swiss, Swiss watches, but also there comes with a little bit of a hierarchy there. They are the watch guys who come from four or five generation of watch guys. You have to listen to the whole story of their family before you can even have a conversation about business. What I kind of wanted was something that was a little bit more straightforward, a little bit more Americanized and a little bit more, you know, straight to the value, which is kind of what an American consumer likes anyways. What we, what I did is I found a way to get Swiss parts, Australian steel and a Japanese movement. And the difference between a Swiss and Japanese movement is Swiss are a lot of handmade. There's, there's a lot of passion to it. You're really going off the quality of their craftsmanship. Japanese movements are machine and they're perfect. So you're getting a very consistent quality caliber coming through every single time. Whereas in Swiss watches, you have a little bit of variance to it, but you also have that handmade quality, which watch enthusiasts love. What, what I wanted was a way to kind of cut down on price, find that great quality and that, and that really great stability, deliver on that, and then find a way to deliver that down into the consumer. In terms of just the, you know, you said it took like six years. Like, what was it like? Like, how did you, how did you even start to say one day I want to make a watch, and then even realize that I've got to go find these different sort of actors? You know, I I worked for a watch, I worked for a watch customizer as a client, as a client of mine, and you know, it got, once you kind of see how the sausage is made, so to speak, you're like, ah, okay. I see this. I see where they're where they're getting stuff from here. I see where they're doing stuff in the right way. I see where you know they're doing stuff to cut costs a little bit. And you know, a lot of watchmakers keep their stuff very secret. But what's happened is two things. You know, before let's call it from the early two thousands and before that, you were buying all your watches from a retailer, and it was their relationship with the watch manufacturer. They're buying it wholesale. They're doing all of these things and moving along. Now, a large percentage of watches, it's almost like seventy percent, are sold via Instagram. Social media has changed the landscape where someone like me can now sneak in there, have a very good presence and just through hard work versus having to do a lot of the old school ways of through a retailer. Now, the retailers still sell amazing. They are a very important part of the process. But to break in, you can now do that with Instagram and do that with social media, which is hugely important. So on the the IG thing, I didn't realize it was that high. Uh, are, are you selling directly or just using it as a mechanism to drive traffic to your website? Uh, a bit of both. Um, there, so you're kind of doing two. I, can, I sell directly there, which actually, surprisingly, I get a lot of sales out of the UK for that. They, they just hit a little bit differently for what they're looking for. Whereas I was more targeted at the North American market. So it's, you get those nice surprises sometimes, which is good, yeah. but you're doing two things. You're doing a bit of brand building because what, someone buying a, even a $500 watch is it's not a, you're not sitting there being like, okay, this is 20 bucks. I'm going to buy it. That looks cool. You kind of come back a few times. So it's building that thing, hitting them consistently and kind of pushing them to say, Hey, I'll make this purchase. So that's the direct sales route. The other one is just brand is brand building and going out and building it that way. And a good way on Instagram to do it, like what I've done is I've you know given the products. I'm very blessed to, to work in tennis where I can give the product to players, directors, tournament directors, things like that, where I get not only the product feedback, hey, we need to change this. Hey, I don't like this too much, but I really like this part. 
And also they wear it. People ask them questions. So a lot of things and to have an Instagram page that's well, that's essentially well populated as well as a website where they can go look at it immediately. They go, oh, all my questions are there. They're answered. Here's what we do. You know, so you're kind of taking a, the fun part is, is that, you know, a lot of us who are kind of further along in our careers sit there and you to go back to like business basics, you reach your consumer and answer those questions is actually really a lot of fun. And, and do you find that it's, it's the look and the price point, or is it the story and the narrative? Like, and do you, maybe you do or don't have the data. I don't know. Uh, it's it's a great question and it's all over the place um a, a watch consumer so if you're and let's let's kind of try to stereotype a few kind of consumer buckets if you want the watch enthusiast they want to know where the metal was made they want to know every single thing about it they want to know who made it is it handmade what parts are handmade those sort of things which are you know a good thing to ask those and those guys really drive the quality Hey, this is not quite what I want to have here. They they're really good for getting that review on the quality. And they're also the guys who are going to buy 40 watches and test them out, trade amongst their friends, resell watches, do things like that. So those are a good part to get sales from, but also a better part to get information from and feedback. The second one is like the person who wants to break into that luxury watch market. Cuz right now you have this weird thing where if you want to buy a Rolex Omega or even like a high-end tech the cost of a new one and getting on that list with the dealer is a frustrating experience and it's a lot of money. Now that secondhand market, that gray market has really picked up. So a lot of my, where my target audience is, is that guy that's looking into buying, hey, do I buy this 1988 Rolex that is probably a bit beat up or can I buy a new watch kind of sitting here and buy it at half the price than what I could from a used watch for a brand new watch. And that's kind of the the place to sneak to, the place for a brand like mine to sneak in there, whereas to compete with the used market things like that, those guys are they have that thing pretty well pretty well wound up, and that's figuring and, out you know what do you buy there. There's a lot of yeah. question marks there, and, and I think anyone who's gone to any watch dealer right now just sees open or empty cabinets. In fact, Rolex is even no longer doing empty cabinets. They have fake watches or, or watches with no movements. And then the gray market's crazy. I don't know if it's gonna drop back down. Well, and it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that the gray market for me is an interesting one. I don't think it'll drop down because now it's gotten established. It's viewed as a good way to buy watches because you also have dealers taking brand new watches mm -hmm. where they can put them onto the gray market and make more money, which is a huge taboo for watch manufacturers. The, the interesting part for me though, and I, I get to say this because I've been burned by it, is there are some very good people switching out parts. So the value of the watch you're buying on a gray market, even the guys who are really good, they know what they're looking for. And like, honestly, if you're in the gray market, the old kind of grandma, grandpa jeweler is gonna give you the single best piece of advice they can on any watch you're gonna buy. They're gonna sit there and be like, hey, you need to check these parts, go to, uh, go to an independent one, where they really are knowledgeable and say, hey, keep an eye out for this, this, and this, because you might have different parts, which changes the value of the watch drastically. So if you're looking to resell, so if you're saying, I'm gonna go buy this, I got a great deal, it should be $20,000, I got it at 13, you really need to be aware of what you're buying. And that's that's the craziness of it. 
Yeah, I, I learned a term the other day, like Frankenstein watches of just yes. a, a mix match of. I, I had never heard that term before, but modern modern parts and the the craziness is like. So if you take, let's say that you have, let's say you, ha you get Grandpa's Rolex, or you get like for Frank. For me, I had I got my grandfather's Longines. I can catalog all the parts. They're all original. I know what they are, but I also know what I'm looking for on that. Um, yeah. You send it in. Let's say you get it. You send it in. Hey, it's not working. Send it in to the watch guy to do it. Some of them are taking these parts because Rolex, for example, doesn't send back the parts. They're keeping all the parts. So there's not a marketplace of parts where you can make fake watches and, and Frankenstein them in. What a big thing is happening now is that you're getting a lot of jewelers who are replacing parts. It's going to work better because they're taking away these vintage parts. But those vintage parts themselves have quite a value. And if you just don't know, how can you check? Are you going to take apart the watch and make sure that this one little thing is not switched? Yeah. And, and I even saw like my, my, uh, my wife was wearing uh, shoes and uh, on the, you know, high heels on the ice and slipped and broke a really nice watch and had the hands replaced. Well, those are not original hands. So you could argue that that devalues it. I think it looks just fine, but you know, yeah. she's happy she can fill time. But, but yeah, if you were like a, trying to buy it on a resale market, yeah, it, it it depends on what you want too. Like if the guy is sitting here and you're gonna re, if you're gonna resell it, you're going to be underneath any sort of scrutiny you're ever gonna have. You know, the thing that I really created Strathcona in mind with was, you know, who cares? Does it work? That's that's really what you want. You want that function. So if you're getting a new watch con consumer or someone who just wants a watch that's going to look great, work great, and not have to worry about it, you get the same quality of a luxury watch, just a, a very significantly better value. And you don't have to worry about, oh my God, do I have to send this back for a repair bill that's going to be half the cost yeah. of the watch just to keep it original because I know I have to. You know, that's a, that's a challenge. You know, I, I, I heard a great thing in Wimbledon where a, a, a man who's a, he was a very good watch. He's a very good watch journalist, and he essentially said, "You know, there's a reason why Ferrari doesn't sell to people who haven't owned Ferraris before. You have to know how to take care of it. You have to know what that cost is going to be. It's it's not yeah. the car that's going to be your daily driver that you're going to be like, okay, I'll take it for an oil change for fifty dollars. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So, well, let's let's talk about design a little bit. So, <laughs> you know, six years to go find, you know, kind of." Uh, folks to make things like how many different iterations did you go with before you got to kind of your version one if you will yep so so i'll i'll be i'll be very frank on my version one is if you think you can design a watch you will be humbled very very quickly <laughs> so like uh for for my first iteration i took I paid a tribute to a lot of things that have been done well before. So a lot of those great vintage vintage aesthetics with a modernized movement and a modernized kind of functionality is what I went to. So I kind of pick and choose, hey, I like this, I like these sizes. And I really took my favorite parts for about five, six different watches and put them into the core belief of it, but then also went and tried to make it my own a bit. That iteration, I bet you probably 35 plus legitimate from drawings. Um, and, th th and those are not just like ideas going there like, hey, because you think about it, if you change the size of a face from 39 millimeters to 41 or do that, the whole thing, all of a sudden the look out. goes there. And then like, I'll show you where, and then the prototyping is very important. You know, the, at first, at first I was like, oh, we'll make one prototype and then we can just roll with it. And thankfully I, I took my time and really looked at the prototype. So I'll kind of show you here. 
you know, these are the, pro this is the prototype that I wear every day. And I've been trying to literally break this for almost a year now, and it's still, still running the way I want it to. So that's a good sign. Everything on the inside is exactly what you have for the production value. So we got that part right. That's the important part. We got check, check done, that sort of thing. The spacing, the way that these things came out, I'll try to get it here. Like, where is that? And, and I'm looking on, you know, for the folks listening, I, I'm looking at Austin showing me the watch. I also have his website to compare production yep. versus original one. So, okay, cool. Yep. So you have this, cool. and then then we go to a brand new one, which is where we have drastic changes, a bit more modern, a bit more of that nicer side of uh, cleaner lines. And it's it's funny where you sit there and you go, hey, this looks great to me, but it also should look great to you. You designed it, you went through all these iterations, you're too deep into it. Having those people to really bounce it off of, that was a humbling process of, hey, just so you know, you need to increase this by 20%. It looks ridiculous when you when you look at it this way and you're like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. And you're like, uh, I see it. And then when the, once they say it, they see it. So it's like the having having people who can give you honest feedback is really important. But for my version one, I did it myself. And I said, this is the watch that I want to deliver. For the second version, I got a lot smarter and partnered with a watch designer to do it. And the changes there and the, the cleanliness of the process, much more efficient. Where And I, I'm guessing you don't just go on the internet and say, find me watch designer. Like, was this just through connections or? Through, through, through connections. And, and again, this, this is the benefit of being based out of a tennis world. These guys are plugged into the watch world. I said, hey, I'm looking at these guys that I've heard are good. And then they say, hey, you need to consider this one as well. This one's great. This one has worked here. So and it's also, you know, watch designers are kind of like architects. You go with an architect based on kind of what they're familiar on designing. So if you get a guy who wants to build this massively modern watch or this, this big thing there, they're really good at that. Taking them out of there, you know, you're not going to ask a guy who builds modern, amazing homes to go and build you a, you know, kind of farm home. You're not going to, you're not going to do that. It'll be a good challenge, but it's not in that wheelhouse and not where they can help you with their expertise as much. So, so really finding that, and like, I found, I found a great guy who does stuff that's very much an updated modern or updated classics, modernizing classics. And that's really where my taste lies as well. But he helped, he helped quite a bit in saying, Hey, if you want to go this way, you want to add a date function. You need to think about the move, the, the movement here. You need to think about this, and also, you know, improving the product. Here's how we can do this. In, in terms of the design, like, how do you, how would you describe today? And then, is this going to stay consistent? Are you looking to expand? Like, what are you thinking there? So the so the next kind of next steps for Strathcona for us is. I'd like to, so we did two, we did three, 200 units in British racing green and 100 units in, in red, which is a, for me kind of running a very close knit one man shop with help from the outside is manageable. The next step really has to be developing those relationships with the retailers, which we're well down the way of doing. And that sort of step is going to be, is going to dictate if they say, Hey, we need a hundred units. How do you prepare for that? And that's really figuring out that demand next. But the next kind of steps from a big picture would, for me would be to have the baseline, which is what this unit is. It's the baseline model. Have that. I'd like to have one with an improved movement and a little bit, a little bit higher quality cost where you're pushing that $1,000 US mark, which is really where you're competing, truly competing with the luxury washes on value. 
you're nailing every question that you have on the quality of what you're putting in there, plus the design, plus the look. But then also going back down a bit more and saying, okay, what's that $250 watch look like? That's a quartz movement, but how do we keep the quality without making it look mass produced and dumping a huge marketing budget into it that you have to do to overcome the quality issues? So, and thankfully with the production process that we're using, we have that availability to do all three of those. Right now it's getting that demand built up and building a business from scratch, essentially. And do you think you're gonna, so you have interest in jumping from mechanical back to courts? I, I, I do and that's honestly, I, I had no interest in doing it when I started this process. I was very much, I'm going to be automatic, we're going to do this, forget courts, forget digital. And I can't tell you how many people are saying there, hey, I forget to wind it. I forget to wear it for a 48 hour period so it stops and then I, I don't want to do it. That's a lot of people who are going through and saying, hey, I need a watch that's just, I can throw on and have that. And then when I have something nicer, I'll wear your watch. So finding out what that kind of demand has been has really developed saying, you, we need to find a way to get a lower, a lower cost watch with the quality still in there, but also a kind of user-friendly watch that has almost no maintenance to it. Interesting. And so I, I'm, I'm always interested by the back of your watch. So talk about the decision to do the stamping and kind of the, how that it, came on, out. Honestly, it's from being too greedy and trying to put too much stuff into one. And, and this and this is the compromise I kind of made with myself. I wanted a tennis piece into it with the name baseline, with the colors of British racing green for, gra for British grass, red clay for getting essentially that, you know, kind of the red clay court, classic red clay court and doing it that way. But I also wanted to kind of put something, I always love back etchings on watches. The, the thing I do with all my high-end watches that I buy is I get them engraved of the place I bought it and the year. That's my big thing that I love. So from my, from my Rolexes to the Breitlings to the Omegas, they all have where I bought them, where they were from. And, and then that way you have a good story to kind of have with it. I think having something cool on the back is a nice little hidden feature. And there are a lot of people who do a great job with it, but to have a tennis court there and kind of remind you, hey, this watch was created on a tennis court, designed on a tennis court, and basically spent a lot of time watching a lot of top players practice, thinking about how I can make this happen. That's my own little kind of give back to the, to the tennis world there is, and they've helped, yeah. honestly, they've, the, the people I've met in the tennis world have helped make this happen. So it's my nice little ode to them without being there, you know, saying, here's a, here's a ball, here's this, we're gonna make it super tennis watch, you have to be a tennis fan to like this watch. It has hints yeah. of tennis to it. Interesting. No, I, I mean, I love the, the green and the red. There's like a little bit of shimmer to it too, or at least that's how it looks on the, uh, the, the and, pictures on the web. So it looks yep. great. And, and, that, and that was another interesting part during the design process. So I love sunburst dials. Like I have, I have watches that have that sunburst dial where depending on how the light hits it, it gets brighter and darker. Ideally in the first iteration, I was going to have black, green, and red and have very plain kind of very traditional colors. Well, when we did the sunburst, the green really looks black to a dark green to a bright green. And I'm sitting there going like, why, why do we need a black watch when this kind of doesn't in a cool way? And that's why it, it's a little bit more classic where the red becomes much more orange and bright red when you get in the sun. And the funny part is, is that it's photo, the red photographs in lighting conditions. Okay, when you wear it in person, it looks amazing. 
where the green, what you see on there is really what you're getting. It's that classic, it's that look. So to see the difference between the two, like I go and wear the red, the red clay watch and people are like, oh my God, what is that? I've seen your site. Where is this one on the site? And I'm like going, well, it's on there. This looks, it just photographs, <laughs> photographs a lot better, a lot better in person than in the light. So and right. it's, uh, it's, it's kind of funny. Everyone, a lot of people go like, you have like six different watches on here, don't you? And I go, nope, it's two. It's just a sunburst dial. And that's kind of the, the, that's kind of the variability and the nice little bonus of having that design element that we can do. That was a pleasant surprise on that. Nice. Cool. So in, in terms of like the, the next steps with the different movements and kind of price points, like what does that look like? How long does that, that take for an independent watch brand? It's, it's, it's a lot. And there's, um, it depends on how you want to finance it. The, the, the good part for me is that I've been able to self-finance a lot of this and I can take my time. Um, if you go and get a business loan, you can do these things to go through that. What I really want to do is take my time and make sure that these watches have a good place to land. They have good demand to land. And second, and what, kind of lastly, that we're doing the right thing. Are we designing the right watch for the next five years that'll be worn? And thankfully, like I'm in a watch space where I'm taking classic designs and modernizing them. So these things are, are like the designs there are, are proven, they're great, and we're giving it a bit of a spin. Whereas if I came out with a whole new thing and was avant-garde, we're not at a place where, you know, I, I could even tell you where that would go. Yeah. What I do, what I do like about kind of these the design factors here is that you're essentially, if we do things perfectly and right on schedule, you're going to do about three months of design go through with every day going to it process selecting parts and thankfully for selecting parts i kind of know what i have in mind so we can go through and make that happen you have about another nine to call it with the supply chain disruptions which are a real thing you know you have that nine to 12 months of production factor whereas back in the day if you knew what you wanted you send the order it is three to six months especially if you have the molds done already and things like that that's where it goes to the prototyping aspect for us nine months if we're very quick 12 months if if you're taking there taking that time to do it correctly is really important when you're financing it yourself because if you have a dud that's straight out of your pocket yeah so so you're looking at like almost a year cycle between design sure. and going from molds to getting landed for day one to look at it Cor correct and then there's the the other part too where you can kind of do a little bit of a little bit of quicker updating is when you have the molds like for the baseline next year there'll be a line of different colored watches. So we'll go yeah. to a different color scheme where we have these available, but the 2023 watches will have different color schemes. That's putting into a mold. Existing parts, that's much easier. You're looking at a three month, three month production from that because you're essentially placing, you're replacing that order. Doing the prototyping fashion for a new watch is much more challenging, especially if you're picky. And is there any difference when you go with quartz or is it the same kind of process? Um, quartz, quartz is a little bit easier because it's pretty standardized and the sizing drops down quite a bit. So you can make a thinner, lighter watch. You know, the I'm still not the biggest fan of a quartz movement, but it does have its place. For for me, the technical aspects of, uh, of different, different designed automatic movements, like there are some Portuguese automatic movements right now that are out of this world. And they're kind of a low, they're kind of a low hidden thing where they're, they're really coming into it and they're quite dependable. Whereas you look at like German movements that are, the quality is spectacular, 
but if it goes wrong, just like a German car, if it goes wrong, there's one little part that needs to be replaced. And that is a specific part for that specific movement. The whole thing won't work. Where the Swiss movements are getting a little bit more modernized as well, where they're getting to a point where there's a little bit more variance for error coming in there. And then the Japanese movements, they're really improving the process. So it's for, for me, the, the fun part that I'm playing with right now is does this, does the new movement come from Japan where it's really been, where I, I know exactly what I'm getting. I know where this is, or, you know, do we go and continue in the international realm and do something a little bit outside the box? Interesting. Sounds like a good problem to have. It's a fantastic problem to have. I, I love it. And you're, <laughs> the amount you learn from the guys that are making these movements you, again, it's a very humbling experience. I stare at watch schematics all day long and I learned something new from one guy who's like, well, if you do this and move it around in 12 different ways, it'll be a much more efficient movement. So it's a, <laughs> it's a thing. And, and the question comes down to like with any luxury watch is how much do you want to take care of? You know, my target audience is probably want something that you can pick up, put back down, pick up, put back down. If you go into these higher end movements that are very, very finicky, but my goodness, some of the best in the world, you do have to take care of it. Think of it like, think of it like a car, classic car. You don't run it. You don't do anything with it. It's going to have problems. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, I know we're, we're kind of coming up on time. Where can folks find you and your brand on the web? Yep. On the web, it's strathconawatches.com and we ship worldwide. So feel free to do it. I will personally put them in the box for you. So don't worry about anything there. Um, also on Instagram at Strathcona watches. Um, we are hoping to be in stores in the Vancouver area by end of summer. And we are very close to doing that. And then hopefully in the U S as well at select markets coming in January of 2023. Well, Austin, thank you for joining us. And I will make sure that I put all the links to web and social in the show notes. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Reed, you're awesome. Thanks so much, man. Have a good one. All right. Well, thanks for uh, tuning in to the, uh, the interview with Austin. Uh, I can tell you that uh, since we've had the interview, I've actually purchased one of his watches and I am wearing it as we speak. It's a fantastic baseline edition. Looks great in the pool. Looks great uh, when I'm bumping around town getting a cup of coffee. Um, in the show notes and on dailyblend.com, I'm going to put Austin's website and Instagram handles. Go check them out. You know, don't forget to follow uh, Strathcona International Watches on Instagram. And uh, I hope that you uh, go and purchase one of his fine timepieces. And I wish Austin and the team all the success. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode of Daily Blend Show. Thanks for tuning in.